This is an ABC podcast. Hello, I'm James Carlton and welcome to God Forbid. The written record of words date back 4,600 years. And those words were not a poem or a report or an argument, but a prayer. The Kesh Temple Hymn from Babylon, today's Iraq, written on clay in Sumerian, thanking the Mesopotamian mother goddess Nintud for creating man and woman. But the act of praying is actually much older than 4,600 years. Anthropologists theorise prayer coincided with the capacity of humans to think in the abstract, and that means we could be talking about the Stone Age in Africa, would you believe 150,000 years ago. And today, the practice of prayer continues unabated, supplication and invocation before a god, a goddess or idol. It continues daily for billions still. How and why? Well, these are questions that remain debated. But one thing is certain, prayer will be around a lot longer than we will. And in its broadest sense, you don't actually need to even believe in God to undertake the practice of prayer. This is our topic on God Forbid this week, and to explore it, Dr. Jeffrey Lilburn. He's a farmer, a theologian, he's also a poet and a writer, the author of Pray Without Ceasing, A Life of Prayer, plus Joy Interrupted, a memoir of depression and prayer, which we've discussed previously with him on God Forbid. Jeffrey Lilburn, welcome back to the show. Thank you, James. It's great to be with you again. So this word pray is kind of like the word God. It's this loaded term which means completely different things to different people, depending on who's hearing it. Uh, what's the range of things people think it means, and, and what does it mean for you? Okay, well, I suppose for most people it starts with words that they address to God or the Spirit, something like that, but... Uh, Gradually, if one progresses in prayer, I think it often becomes uh, silent waiting in the presence of the Almighty, uh, opening oneself up to the force of the universe uh, is also prayer. So to me, it's a huge range of things, um, but I would trace in my own experience a definite progression from praying with words to praying without words from asking for things like, as you mentioned yesterday, a, a parking spot or something ridiculous like that, progression from that to more being thankful for the gifts of life. I find at the end of each day I want to say thank you for the good things that have happened that day. So there's a progression in prayer, certainly in in my experience. The tragedy is that most people give up. They sort of pray for a parking spot and it doesn't happen. So they think, oh, that was a waste of time and don't give themselves a chance to grow into a practice of prayer which uh, which can be very much like meditation or centering or gathering yourself in the presence of the ultimate. You say in your book, Pray Without Ceasing, that you're, well, you begin by saying you're not very good at prayer. What do you mean by that? 
Well, I think people have a bit of a stereotype about people who pray are holy Joes. Well, I'm not a holy Joe. I'm a rather profane sort of fellow. Uh, and sometimes I don't believe in God. You know, I, I sort of uh, a bit of an atheist in practice. So when I say I'm not an expert or I'm not very good at it, it seems to me prayer is like a, a school, uh, a school of life that you learn as you go along. And uh, far be it from me to claim that I'm near the uh, have graduated from that school. I'm, I feel, feel I'm still a beginner in it, but it continues to open up uh, rich dimensions of self-awareness uh, and indeed uh, joy in, in my life. So I don't want to claim expertise, but I want to claim uh, a devotion to the, uh, the practice of prayer, the discipline of prayer. You're a, a cattle farmer, a poet. Are these instructed by your prayer? Do you pray for rain or a healthy feed for your stock? Look, whenever a new calf is born, I give thanks um, and I welcome the new calf into the herd. I'm not uh, feeling as though the fertility of my land depends on an intervention of God. So uh, it's not as if for me prayer is some sort of uh, magical uh, guarantee that things will turn out well. The rains come whether I pray or not, uh, which doesn't mean if we've had a long dry spell, I don't say, Lord, send us rain. But I think my prayer increasingly now is to give thanks for the rain that we do have. Um, and it's less magical. It's more a spirit of uh, a sigh of gratitude, I think. Also with us on today's program, Sarah Sabah, the founder and CEO of Benevolence Australia, which provides Islamic education, support and outreach programs in Melbourne. Sarah, a warm welcome back to God forbid to you. Thank you for having me. It's great to be back. So as a Muslim, you are called to prayer five times a day. It's the second pillar of Islam, I think. But that discipline is about much more than following rules, isn't it? Mm, absolutely. It is more than following rules. And like you said, it is the um, second pillar of Islam. So it's incredibly important, the foundational uh, practice for Muslims. And it's more than following a rule because it's um, it really, we set the entire day around the Salat. Now, Salat is a physical movement. Um, and so when we say the word prayer in English, it means it's, it's a quite broad term. But for Muslims, prayer is can be um, a supplication which does not require particular language. It does not require a time or purification. And it could be done for anything at any time, exactly like uh, Dr. Jeffrey said, trying to find a, a car spot or, or showing gratitude for rain or, or stock or whatever it might be. But the Salah is very much a ritual performance that is done five times a day. It has a time. It has a place, it has a direction, it has purification requirements. The word salat in Arabic comes from the root word sila, which means to connect. And this idea of connecting and revitalizing one's spirit, one's soul, just as we recharge our phones and we recharge our bodies with good food and nutrition and exercise, there's an idea that the soul also requires recharging and, and nourishment and where does the soul go for nourishment? It goes back to its creator. And through the Salat movements and the ritual prayer of the Salat, 
that's where we become recharged throughout the day. So they are five daily prayers that are spread out throughout one's day. You observe all five? Yes, I do. Many Muslims do. Yes, it sounds daunting, doesn't it, to say five times. It's like saying you you meditate five times a day or you practice yoga five times a day. But for a Muslim who practices the five daily salat, it's the first thing we do in the morning upon waking prior to sunrise is to perform the salat. People might go to the gym first thing in the morning or start on their work or meditate. And then the next time is at lunchtime, we can, it's punctuated, our day's punctuated through that, afternoon, sunset, and then evening. Um, so really, we set the entire day around the Salat practice instead of the other way around. And it, the, the rules are rather <laughs> flexible. If, you're, if you forget or if you're busy at work or if you have some urgent business to undertake, uh, the rules can be relaxed and then you can pray later with a special prayer saying, sorry, I missed the first. (laughs) Something like that. So the idea is that there is a window of a few hours between each one. Um, The intention is not to make our life cumbersome and the salat get in the way, but it's intended to refocus ourselves, realign ourselves every day as we get busy in our life, whether we're working, whether we're caring for our family, whatever we're doing, but to remember remember our purpose. So it's a realignment and the direction that we're facing is Mecca, which is also a realignment of our ancestors who the first person who built the Kaaba according to Muslims was Adam, the first human being created peace be upon him, then rebuilt by Abraham, which unifies all the world, three monotheistic religions. So it's once again that unification process of where did I come from, where is my origin, where am I going, what is my purpose? So we're not consumed by the days and day in and day out of life activities. So, of course, there's flexibility there. A friend of mine who works as a, as a, in an operating theatre He's not going to stop operating halfway through to go perform the prayer. He needs to continue. Um, but I will stop my work when I have that flexibility of a few hours to meditate and reflect. And do you always make it five out of five a day or some days it's just a bit too daunting and you skip one or two? It's always five out of five because as as many Muslims who practice the five salat, like I said, it's it's part and parcel of who you are. It's 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 not it sounds cumbersome to a person that doesn't, but it's just like me saying to you, how many times do you eat a day or drink water a day? Um, do you always drink, you know, water throughout the day? Do you always eat two meals or three meals a day? You'll say to me, Well, my body will be hungry, I'll need to. And for a person who practices the five daily prayers, you just that's that's your practice you don't know anything else and it aligns you and it's nourishing and i would feel quite empty without it for muslims it said that god is he whom the depiction of describers failed to describe god is unknowable in that sense how does prayer relate to that does that give you a connection to something that is unknowable Mm, absolutely. So the beautiful part about the Salat is that we're not using human language. So it's different to pray in the terms of supplication, asking or showing gratitude. That human language can be used. When I say human language, it's uh, it's it's our own words. But isn't it prescribed so you have it, specific Arabic words you need to correct. say? 
yeah, that's what I'm trying to say. So within the Salah practice, it is prescribed that only words of the Quran are recited in the Salah, which to Muslims believe is revelation, are the words of God. And so we are approaching God through God's own words. We're not using our own human words. So when God becomes unknown, we become we come to know the Creator through the divine words that He has used upon Himself. And so that's our ability to come close to the Creator and reflect on the divine words of God through the Salat. And this is distinct from perhaps the wordless prayer you may undertake at any time. Mm, absolutely. So the Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, says, speak to God, ask of God. And that doesn't require purification because the Salat requires a physical purification, use of water prior to standing up for Salat. But when you're speaking to God at any time, whether you're driving, whether you're lying in bed, whether you're walking, whether you're cooking, that doesn't require a particular language. It doesn't require time or purification. And so the prophet says, speak to God, even if it's the most simplest mundane of things, um, but ask of him because the creator loves to hear your voice and loves to respond to you. So we have an idea that God says in the Quran, ask me and I shall give you. So, and, and I loved how Dr. Jeffrey said before, the prayer is very much about gratitude and showing gratitude because there's a deep understanding in, in Islam that the more you show gratitude, the more I shall give. So the deepest of prayer is definitely that of showing gratitude for what we have received. This is Aaron. God forbid we're with Sarah Sabah and Dr. Jeffrey Littleburn, a prayer and consciousness and much more still ahead. Prayer is often characterized as a plea, asking the divine for external transformation, a change in the world or in personal circumstances. But can the act of prayer transform the one who prays, even alter one's consciousness? Father Richard Rohr is a Franciscan priest and best-selling author. He founded the Center for Action and Contemplation in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Richard Raw spoke to Meredith Lake for Soul Search about the ritual of contemplation and prayer as a pathway to a changed way of seeing and being in the world. If you want a, a real clean descriptor, it's to learn how to think in a non-binary way, to learn how to think not either or, all or nothing, black or white. And that takes years of practice because that is the way most Western educated people think. And I mentioned educated, because uh, educated people think they're smart, and they are, <laughs> but they're still completely binary. So we've, we've never lost that focus 32 years later. In fact, my conviction is that seeing American politics, it convinces me that even very sophisticated people still think with an argumentative mind. The dualistic mind is inherently argumentative. In fact, it likes to pick a fight so it can choose sides. And then once it's chosen sides, it thinks it's smart. It manifests so, itself in a kind of tribalism. You're that's saying. right. That's right. My tribe thinks this way. So it's always Republican or Democrat, uh, male or female, 
absolutely right or absolutely wrong. And it just doesn't make for civil conversation, much less spiritual conversation. Can I just go back to that idea of contemplation? You described it as a way of thinking. Is it also a form of consciousness or a quality of consciousness? That's what it becomes. When you get well-practiced in not dividing the world into binaries around which you take sides, it's exactly that. It's a different form of consciousness. It's an alternative way of seeing reality where you learn to, frankly, love things, appreciate things as they are. So this form of consciousness, frankly, if it doesn't sound too soft and sentimental, it moves you toward love, where you learn to love things in themselves, as themselves, by themselves, before you classify them. This kind of learning approaching this view, is it a matter of spiritual practice? I'm curious about what it involves for you, Father Richard, at this point in your life. How does it look? Well, you're talking to me now in my little tiny cottage, which we call a hermitage. All I do is walk out the door and I'm in the middle of the neighborhood, but at least I can protect here a certain amount of hours of quiet. I start the day by getting my cup of coffee to wake up. And uh, sitting there with my cup of coffee, I usually light a candle and I try to get to yes, a foundational yes about the day ahead of me, about what is going to be asked of me when I go over to the office. You have to pray as long as it takes you to get to yes, to get beyond any judgmentalism, fear, anxiety, negativity, antagonism. Then when I go over to the center, I about an hour, hour and a half later, I get up early. We have a 20-minute sit as a staff. But uh, after both of those, I'm usually ready to embrace the day that whatever happens, it's okay. Now, that's taken me years of practice, and I still don't always succeed at it. But I'm glad you use the word practice, because it's just like practicing the piano or practicing basketball. You've got to almost rewire the mind, and you've got to notice your tendency toward anxiety, judgmentalism, dismissiveness, all those negative paths that don't get you anywhere. That's Franciscan priest Father Richard Raw speaking with Meredith Lake for Soul Search. We'll put a link to the full discussion on the God Forbid website. Uh, well, Dr. Jeffrey Littleburn, did uh, what he said resonate with you? The practice of prayer is just that. It's, it's you practice. Yes, I think that's certainly right. In my practice, uh, it's a, it is a daily uh, thing. It's not five times, although uh, my good wife always wants us to um, begin our meals with a prayer of thanks. Well, you're a Uniting Church minister. I, do you agree with her? 
Oh yes, I mean, I'm I'm one of those chaps who chafes a little bit if you make rules too rigid. So, um, you know, I might be at a restaurant and suddenly there's a, a a muffin in front of me, and she says, "Well, shall we pray?" And I think, "Oh, maybe not." So I I don't like to be too rigid about rules, but I think. We do need them as humans. If we don't have、uh, regularity about doing things,、uh, we can lose the practice altogether. So for me, prayer is needs to be a daily practice: a morning prayer, an evening prayer, a prayer、uh, around meals, and then, of course, when I gather with other Christians, it's natural for us to want to either sing a song or, or, or say a prayer together, or you know, share particular concerns. So. That's really why I've called my book "Pray Without Ceasing" because I think in the Christian West、uh, a lot of people just give up on the practice, and、uh, if you give up on the practice, you never really progress very far. That's why I've really stressed: look, this is something that you need to keep doing, and if you keep doing, it's going to be very rewarding to you. Is that evidence of the existence of God, or? Just evidence that prayer can be a contemplative ref- act of reflection that has positive side effects. <laughs> I'm a little、um, hesitant to talk about evidences of God、uh, in the sense that I can't really prove to you or to anyone else that、uh, God is real. All I can say is, in my life. I experience the love and presence of God, and that's what carries me through this day. And I wish I could share that with you. So、um, I think it's it's very deep in the human psyche, James, that、uh, without a regular practice,、uh, we forget things, we become sloppy, we we neglect, and it's very、e- easy for us living such an atheistic age as we do. Uh, simply to slip out of awareness of the divine presence or the divine goodness, the divine love.、Uh, so it's something we need to sort of keep reminding ourselves. And I think practice, regular practice, is one of the tools for reminding our spirits、uh, of the gift, of the good gift of life that、uh, that I believe God has given us. And Sarah Sabah,、uh, it's interesting in that interview we heard. They actually never mentioned the word God once. It was more、uh, about the practice of contemplation, and、uh, it can be like practice in terms of engaging in activity. You, one practices the piano to become better at the piano over time. Is, is that、um, oversimplifying prayer? Well, asking me as a Muslim,、um, salat and the prayer is very much grounded. And centered in God, it's not about self-contemplation or how we show up in the world in, in, in our best way possible. They might be the side benefits、um, of the prayer, but whether it's salat or the、uh, the speaking to God, which is the、um, supplication to Muslims, they're very much centered in the worship of God and surrendering oneself to God. So, if we look at even the postures of salat in Islam, it has a standing up, a bowing down, a prostration, and that prostration is a recognition of I am a servant, I am in need, I am in need of you,、uh, my Creator. It really puts 
the human in perspective of where they are in this world and also allows the person performing the prayer to surrender because the word Islam essentially means to surrender, to surrender one's will. And this surrendering and one's problems, one's issues to the higher power is such a it's such a relief knowing that I'm taken care of, that I'm being sustained, that I don't have to sustain myself. You know, I loved what Dr. Jeffrey just said, that we are an atheistic society more and more, and um, whichever way people refer to prayer, whether it's through God or not through God, but the idea is we need to practice that there is something beyond us that gives us hope, that gives us uh, foundations. And I think more and more we're seeing that we are losing this hope, we're losing our foundations, we're losing our clarity and direction. And we know that meditation and prayer and contemplation assists with mental health, assists with depression, assists with ability to function more clearly in the world. And we know so much research has been conducted in these areas. Um, and so for Muslims, the, the Salat is very much about grounded in God, though not outside of it. You seem to be referring to almost a, a kind of, not with Salat, but more broadly, a, a secular form of prayer. C can that exist and be worthwhile? I think there is a secular form. Obviously, we're, we're seeing it. Um, we're seeing it everywhere around us. However, in my study, I formally studied meditation um, a few years ago. It's interesting, though. I mean, meditation is something that, the you know, secular society has taken on. However, it has a religious origin, but we have made it into a secular form. And its religious origins are very much centered and grounded in a higher power. But what we take from it in a secular society, I think we're dabbling in it. I think it works to a greater extent, but I still think there's a, it's not firmly grounded. There's something missing. What do you think about the idea that there's either no God and you as a Muslim and Jeffrey as a Christian are both mistaken, or, or, or there is a God and Muhammad may be his prophet and messenger, or Christ may be his son, in which case one of you is right and one of you is wrong. Does that mean that the prayers of one of you will remain unanswered depending on which one's picked the right God? <laughs> That's an interesting question. I believe that when we turn to God, I believe God responds to that, whatever that, the sincere cry of a person that is seeking God, I believe God responds to that. Mm. The vulnerability uh, that Sarah touches on, Jeffrey, the fallibility, I think she may have said that the, the recognition uh, of, of humans that, that they are limited inherently and imperfect, that's a humility that everyone can touch into, regardless of religious belief or disbelief, isn't it? Oh, yes, I'd agree with that, James. I think, I mean, when I come to pray, I, I open my arms and I think, well, here I am. I'm a little old man who's probably quite near to the end of his life uh, and I don't control anything very much anymore. But I surrender to the life that is flowing in me and, and through me. So I think that sort of humility that you talk about is something that draws us into prayer, really, um, and prayer deepens that sense within us because we're saying, look, uh, I'm not in control here. Uh, I'm, you know, able to manage my own life in certain ways, but 
I'm sitting or standing or bowing in the presence of uh, what I would say the Almighty, others would say the infinite, others would say the universe, you know, it's sort of topan in Greek, the, the whole, we're standing or sitting or, or kneeling in the presence of that, and that's the sort of beginning orientation, it seems to me, for not only prayer, but for also for meditation and a stance towards life about humility. You know, I'm going to walk on this earth today, but uh, I'm going to be dependent upon all sorts of things beyond my control. So, yeah, I think that humility, and that is something which in our atheistic age we, we tend to lose. We think that, you know, we are the be-all and end-all of everything. Well, frankly, we're not, you know, and uh, I sometimes think... Uh, you know, we might destroy human life at the rate we're going, um, but the creation will go on. Uh, we have to sort of bear that sort of perspective uh, in mind, I think, in both our ethics, our practice, uh, and our understanding of ourselves. Thank you, Geoffrey uh, Littleburn, uh, uh, for the last 10 years of minister for the Jinjin Uniting Church. Also, Sarah Sabah, founder and CEO of Benevolence Australia. I'm James Carlton. It's God Forbid. You can follow the podcast of God Forbid on the ABC Listen app. More ahead. So what posture should we adopt in prayer? Should we kneel or sit cross-legged or remain reverently still when praying or meditating? Or should we do precisely the opposite? There is, of course, uh, shuckling, the Yiddish word meaning to, to shake. Shuckling is a ritual swaying of worshippers in Jewish prayer, particularly with uh, most observant Jews. You might have seen it yourself. It can be a back and forth, side to side. In Islam, there are prescribed body movements of the Salah, and uh, Sarah has been referring to them. They're repetitive cycles of bows and prostrations, at first standing, then kneeling, and at all times facing uh, Mecca the direction of the sacred mosque. In Catholicism, the prayerful kneel towards the altar, Pentecostals pray often with their hands in the air. It seems prayer is as much about the body as the mind, heart or spirit. Indeed, in Sufi Islam, the physical and spiritual are regarded as inseparable in prayer, both necessarily components in the pursuit of the path to enlightenment. Sheikha Flanassari Bonin is a Sufi teacher based in Sydney and she spoke to the ABC for Sunday nights back in 2013. To become fully integrated, one must remember God at the centre of one's heart, where God resides and is always present, even when we are not present, even when we forget. We forget because we no longer live in our own centre and are absent from our deeper self. It is we who have forgotten God because we have forgotten the center of our own being, having become scattered and trapped in the periphery of the circle of existence. 
Rumi, the most celebrated Sufi mystic poet of the 13th century of Persia, says, Go sit cross-legged in a corner, take a rosary in your hand, and invoke the name of God. Say Allah, Allah, until your very toe is invoking Allah. For it is not sufficient that only your tongue invokes it. Sufism, like yoga, has extraordinary methods and spiritual techniques for making possible the penetration of prayer into all levels of human existence. From the physical body, like the tongue, to the air that comes out of lungs, which represents the more subtle state of manifestation, to the mind, and finally to the heart. That's Fatima Fleur Nasseri Bonin for Sunday nights on RN back in 2013. You can find a link to that archived program on the God Forbid website. Well, Sarah, her form of Islam, Sufism, is quite distinct from others. Um, indeed, it's renounced by more conservative and extreme elements of Islam, yes? Well, Sufism has been misunderstood. Sufism is, is, is the spiritual tradition within Islam. So what she's referring to, um, that was a beautiful piece that you played, what she's referring to is actually a, a dhikr, a remembrance, um, which is another form of prayer. And dhikr can be done in congregation or it can be done by oneself. The idea is to uh, have presence of heart and mind and very much a, a, a posture of stillness. And one begins the recitation with the utterance of the tongue and then goes into silence and then the utterance remains in the heart. And then when one walks off the prayer mat, that they keep that stillness within. It's what we call mindfulness today. So meditation is not meant to be practiced one-off in a secular sense. It's meant to be then informed the way we show up in the world thereafter. Uh, Jeffrey Lilburn, what are your thoughts on movement, the body and its relationship to prayer? Not so prominent in the Christian tradition, am I right? Well, not so prominent. In my practice, I found that to walk with God was very good a way of praying. At the end of the day, to, to walk out, say, at dusk and to uh, open myself to the divine presence was a better way of walking than trying to sit still in my room. Um, and so it, it has varied for me, but I, I think the body is very important in prayer. Uh, it's not an exercise of the merely of the mind. It really needs to encapsulate, you know, the whole person, body, mind and spirit. Well, on our end, God forbid, is prayer a force for action? We'll look at that up next.
Following a mass shooting in a U.S. supermarket in May this year, New Jersey Governor Phil Murphy criticised gun control opponents and conspiracy theorists, saying, I think every single one of them knows where they can shove their thoughts and prayers. It's a well-worn message of condolence following tragedy. I pray for this, I pray for them, I pray for that. But have the words thoughts and prayers become synonymous with empty sentiment or inaction? And where exactly do all these thoughts and prayers end up? Well, ABC presenter and comedian Sammy Jay took a tour of Heaven's Thoughts and Prayers Department back in 2019. This is the angel Gary. He's the operations manager in Heaven's Thoughts and Prayers Department. That's the Archangel Michael. It's a bit of a legend around here. Just over there, thanks. The Angel Gary's job is to categorise and prioritise all of the thoughts and prayers that come into heaven. You see these prayers down here? They're from the Prime Minister before the last election. Guess we answered those. Counting through. What's this? Oh, these are from all the viewers who had to suffer through the Game of Thrones finale. Oh, thoughts and prayers. Thoughts and prayers. Yeah, I've been here a couple of years. Uh, Started off in bedside prayers. That's your kid stuff, you know. Hope grandma gets better, please look after my dog in heaven, that sort of thing. But you get bored, don't you? So then I got promoted up to uh, prayers and bargaining. So that's sort of, um, dear God, if you help me pass this test, I'll start coming back to church, you know. But look, ultimately, any angel worth his halo wants to be here in thoughts and prayers. I mean, that is the biggest market. Literally anyone can send those. You know, there's a natural disaster or, say, a mass shooting involving multiple deaths of innocent people, and people can just send thoughts and prayers. Feels great. You can even do it when you're on the toilet. Hey, Gary, check this one out. Heartfelt thoughts and prayers. Heartfelt? Just better than normal thoughts and prayers. Yeah, from the heart. However, due to an influx of thoughts and prayers this week, heaven hasn't got the angel power to keep up. Yeah, I've been flat out, but at least I'm not as busy as the boys next door. You know, they're listening to people praying that the NRA come to a reasonable compromise on gun control. That's the miracle department. Hey, Gary, there's been another mass shooting. Okay, let's make some more room, everyone. It's the end of another busy day for the Angel Gary and his team. Yeah, I love my job. It's heaven. No, the truck coming! Okay, bring it in. Uh, Sending thoughts and prayers to Sammy J. You can find the link to that on the God Forbid website. Well, Jeffrey Lilburn, we do have this phenomenon, particularly in America, of sending thoughts and prayers. Is it uh, something you do? Is it worthwhile? Is it a waste of time? I certainly pray for people. Uh, I don't think I send them a message saying thoughts and prayers. Uh, I I think it's become a bit of a cliche, James, that, um, you know, okay, we're concerned about something an easy way to appear to respond is to say we send thoughts and prayers. I think the thoughts and prayers department, as Sammy J so beautifully uh, illustrates there, is a bit of what we might call cheap grace, really. It's uh, an easy way to appear to be concerned and to appear to be religiously oriented for folks who probably are not really that serious about yeah. the uh, the prayers. Any angel worth his halo, he referred to. I remember Ricky, <laughs> Ricky Gervais, the atheist yeah. comedian, there was uh, some disaster and all these celebrities, Beyonce and the rest, were, were sending prayers and he tweeted, I feel like such an idiot. Uh, I sent money. 
Well, that's the other side of it, isn't it? It's rather easy to send thoughts and prayers. It doesn't cost you very much at all. Uh, I think prayer cannot be a substitute for action. For me, uh, my praying for fertility in the land has to be part of my caring for the fertility of the land and trying to enhance that. So prayer and practice uh, go together. They're not alternatives in my book. Look, a question to you both. Regardless of who or what God is, have you both had an experience of being changed by prayer? Sarah, you first. Definitely. How my life is different is I feel held. I feel taken care of. And every day I know there is a higher power that is all compassionate, all loving, taking care of my every needs. And I don't have, I don't have to worry about, I do what I do, but there's a greater power that is taking care of me. So the idea of surrendering, I feel held and taken care of. And that for me is what gets me through every day. And Jeffrey Lilburn, that, that answer could be provided by a Christian faithful person. Yes, I think so. Um, the change that has happened in, in me is that I used to be a pretty anxious uh, little boy um, and I would say the effect of prayer in my life has been the transformation from anxiety to joy. Uh, and I, I think now uh, I look upon my days as a gift I'm rejoicing, you know, so <laughs> I've changed from uh, an anxious person who had to ask God to do all sorts of things for him to a joyous person who says, thank you, God, for all the good things you do for me day by day. So that that really is pretty major in my book about the, the effects of prayer in my life. Mm. And it's been around, as I touched on in the introduction, possibly, anthropologists theorise, for tens of thousands of years, more than 50,000 years. Prayer does seem innate to the species. Do do you think it'll ever go away, however? I think we're on the verge of a rediscovery of of these ancient spiritual realities. Um, Our society... I mean, is recovering it in ways. So we've talked about, you know, the wellness movement and meditation and uh, centering and mindfulness. These are all moving back towards a spirituality that um, at some point I think people are going to want to really recapture in full. Mm. But perhaps without the institutional components. Oh, look, as uh, Sarah has said, both our religions had their dark sides. We've had the Crusades. We've had, you know, child sex abuse, a whole range of things that that now people tend to associate with the churches. Uh, We've got to move, obviously, beyond those aberrations to the core of it. And what we're talking about today, I think, prayer is really right at the core of, of any spiritual, real spiritual tradition. Not not those other things that unfortunately have also occurred. Well, Jeffrey, you want to pray to God that you win the quiz, otherwise Sarah will be leaving you in her dust. I've been praying all day that I'll win the quiz. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, this will prove if uh, your faith is true or not. Let's see what happens. <laughs> 
wits end. Uh, yes, it's uh, wits end. It won't do that. Um, <laughs> time for the God forbid quiz. As always, we begin with the buzzers. Now, Jeffrey Lilburn is a Christian theologian, a uniting church minister, so he knows well the power and meaning of this phrase. Test your buzzer. Dust to dust, ashes to ashes. Have you said that before? Oh, every day, yes. <laughs> <laughs> what does it mean for you? Uh, well, it's uh, words that we use in a funeral service. It's really saying we came from dust and we return to dust. Or you could say we come out of the earth, we go back into the earth. Mm. And uh, Sarah Sabah, if there's a Muslim equivalent, perhaps this would be the closest. Test your buzzer. Inna lillah wa inna ilayhi raji'oon. There you go, Sarah. Inna lillah wa inna ilayhi raji'oon. What does that mean? Well done. I'm impressed. Um, it means uh, from God we came and to God we shall return. So very much the equivalent of from dust to dust. Absolutely. Correct. Now, MASH, you're too young, Sarah, but MASH was this hit TV show in the 70s and 80s based around the lives of soldiers and doctors and nurses in a Korean War Army field hospital. Now, in one episode, the Catholic chaplain recites this prayer. And now I lay me down to sleep, a bag of peanuts at my feet. If I should die before I wake, give them to my brother Jake. Now, what was the chaplain's name? Oh, gosh. (sighs) (sighs) Um, Bill. Was it Bill? No, Father John Patrick Francis Mulcahy. (laughs) Played by William Christopher, a wonderful character. William Christopher died... (laughs) Just on New Year's Eve 2016, 84 years of age. We love MASH. Wow. Next question. Uh, next question. At the Oscars in 2010, the actor and comedian Ben Stiller presented an award uh, dressed as a blue alien from the movie Avatar, which was all the rage that year. Uh, he pretended to speak Navi, the language of this uh, humanoid extraterrestrials that are in the movie Avatar. But as a joke... He actually said Bore Puri Hagafen, which is not Navi. What language is it and what does it mean? From ashes to ashes, from dust to dust. It's Hebrew. Yes, well done, Jeffrey. How did you know that? Nafe is a word I've heard before. I used to learn Hebrew, so I have some knowledge of the language but uh, enough to, enough to know what Bureperi Hagafen means it, should I jump in it means the creator of the fruit of the vine it's from the Jewish uh, blessing that's uh, recited before you drink wine okay yes there yes okay um, but he said it dressed in blue like an avatar. It was quite funny, I, although it went over the head of most people, the joke. Uh, next question. Tr- true or false, in Islam there is a special prayer asking God to make it rain. Inna lillah wa inna ilayhi raji'oon. True. Do you know what it's called? Salat al-istisqa. Yes, well done. <laughs> is there a prayer asking God to make it stop raining? <laughs> Not that I know of. I mean, I don't know either. That was, uh, I don't know what the answer is. I, I think they might need one at the moment. For, exactly. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's, 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 it's called the uh, La Nina prayer, I think. Uh, 
next question. What is a supererogatory prayer? Inna lillah wa inna ilayhi raji'oon. It's an extra prayer that the Prophet, peace be upon him, did. Yeah, and, and it's and it's it's optional. It's not compulsory. It's optional. That's correct, yeah. Yep. Next question. In a, a 2016 study from Pew, uh, in Australia, who is more likely to pray every day, men or women? Inna lillah wa inna ilayhi raji'oon. Women. Correct, Sarah. 21, <laughs> 21% of women pray every day. Men, just 14%, um, yeah. which means, you know, heaven is going to be uh, imbalanced, one expects. Uh, next. Well, we find, we find our churches are imbalanced anyway, and we have more women than men in Christian churches. Well, next question. Uh, that's a 6% gap. 21% of women praying daily, men just 14%. But which of the following countries has an even larger gap? 17% uh, the gap between men and women who pray every day. Is it America, Canada, UK, Germany or France? From ashes to ashes, from dust to dust. America. Correct, correct. Oh, in, excellent. In the Thank you, God. <laughs> Your prayers answered. In the States, yes. um, two out of three women pray every day, but only yeah. half of American men do. Interesting. Next question. Uh, which Madonna song begins with the lyrics, Life is a mystery, everyone must stand alone, I hear you call my name and it feels like home. Inna lillah wa inna ilayhi raji'oon. Like a prayer. Well done, Sarah. Where that's, was... not a good, that's not a good thing that I know Madonna's song. <laughs> no. Where, where was Jeffrey? God. Oh, uh, dear. Maybe he's, he'll get this one because of his generation. Um, what's Hail Mary in Latin? From ashes to ashes, from dust to dust. Ave Maria. I told you. Correct. <laughs> Next question. According to the Bible, who said the first Hail Mary? A clue, he's in the New Testament and the Hebrew Bible and the Quran. Inna lillah wa inna ilayhi raji'oon. Jesus. Nope. Oh, oh, the angel, the angel who, who uh, hailed, who came. And yep. So that's the archangel uh, Gabriel. Gabriel, I guess. Yeah, yeah. We, uh, I heard you both get it correct. Yep. Archangel Gabriel. Question, in, in which Monty Python film does a chaplain recite this prayer in front of the students? Oh, Lord, you are so big, so absolutely huge. Gosh, we really are impressed down here, I can tell you. Forgive us, oh, Lord, for this dreadful toadying, but you're just so strong and, well, just so super. Amen. From ashes to ashes, from dust to dust. The life of Brian. Meaning of life. Close. Oh, the meaning of life. Monty mm. Python's The Meaning of Life. Now, next question. Who was thrown into the den of lions for his prayer? From ashes to ashes, from dust to dust. Daniel. Yes, yes. Mm. And according to church teaching, who was the first person to recite the Lord's Prayer? From ashes to ashes, from dust to dust. Jesus. Yeah. He's got copyright. That's right. Yeah. Next question. During Muslim prayers in the uh, masjid or mosque, under what circumstances can a woman be the imam? Inna lillah wa inna ilayhi raji'oon. When leading female congregation. Correct. And But there can be males of a certain kind in the congregation. Children. 
Yeah, prepubescent children, as mm-hmm. I understand. Mm-hmm. Kids. Yeah. Okay, mm-hmm. look, with that, we've uh, we've reached the end of God forbid, but it's. It, I, I prayed for a good one and my prayers were answered. Um, thanks to Jeffrey and Sarah. Dr. Jeffrey Lilburn, I appreciate your attendance very much. Thank you very much. Good to be with you. Jeffrey's so a, who won, James? Who oh, won? Who won? It's a draw. Um, <laughs> well, you see, that's non-binary. That's great. Yeah, yeah, well, <laughs> indeed. <laughs> Jeffrey's a fine uh, poet, a fine theologian, an accomplished author. Uh, he's from the Chittering Valley in WA. For the last 10 years, also the minister for the Jinjin Uniting Church, uh, the, the author of, among other titles, Pray Without Ceasing, A Life of Prayer. Also, uh, Sarah Sabah. Sarah, thank you for coming back on the show as well. Thank you for having me. Sarah is the founder and CEO of Benevolence Australia, which provides Muslim educational support and outreach programs all across Melbourne. Look, with that, uh, that's the end of the show. You can follow or share the God Forbid podcast on the ABC Listen app. You can email me at godforbid at abc.net.au. I'm James Carlton. Uh, Remember to be good. This has been God Forbid. Listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio, and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.